Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. Oh, it sounds like we didn't have our wheat picks this morning. Um, I'd like for you very quickly just to turn to the person next to you and just shake their hand and say, G'day, mate. Then I want you to look at the person who may be behind you, if there is anyone behind you, and I just want you to salute them and say, God is good all the time. And then for the person in front of you, if there is anyone in front of you, just give them a fist pump and just say, it's awesome to be here today. All right. Okay, well, I want to share a little bit about myself, um, as, as Sarah, Sarah mentioned. Um, but first and foremost, I'm really excited to be here um, and, and to be sharing with you, because uh, this is actually my first time preaching in front of a fresh church, which is, which is a, a massive blessing, and it's a massive privilege and an honor. So thank you, Sarah, for the invitation. Um, I must say, though, however, I was a little bit nervous going into this particular message. And the reason why is I've got some people here today who, uh, in my eyes, uh, are very intriguing, interesting, important people, in a sense. Um, for those who don't know, Joe, Joe Webb, who is uh, Sarah's dad, uh, he was one of my lecturers at the AUC Training Center, and one of um, the core bits of his study that, that we took part of was how to uh, structure and how to deliver a sermon. So the pressure is on today. The pressure is on. No, no. Um, and yeah, we've, we've got a few other people from, from, from the department, from the conference. Um, I, I've also got a friend of mine who is here, um, and his name is James. Uh, can everyone say, hey, James? Um, so he was part of the youth group down in Victoria at Seddon Church, where I first started in ministry in 2013. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really cool to see him. And going back a little bit further, this is crazy how God works. Like, God brings all these people together, right? It's crazy how God works. I've also got some other friends from um, the first church that I ever attended when I became an Adventist, which was the Werribee Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I've got some friends over here, Boris and Akos and their lovely child, um, Santiago. Um, so if we can say hello to them. And um, Akos's dad is up the back there. His name is uh, Coffee. So if we can turn around over in the corner there and say, hey, Coffee. Happy Sabbath. Um, now, I wasn't going to share this, but Coffee, Coffee may not know this, but he was actually a very important part of my spiritual life. Um, when I first became an Adventist was right around the time that my dad was, was getting sick. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, and unfortunately, he passed away about eight months into knowing that he, he was sick. And, and, and uh, Coffee was a very big part of, of my spiritual life and, and me coming into the faith, and then eventually doing what I do today. So it's, it's an honor to have him here. And this is my first time seeing him in almost 15 years, right, right here today. So it's pretty special. It's pretty special. But anyway, enough of uh, that emotional stuff because we don't want to cry at the start of the message. Um, but here's a little bit about me. So yes, I am working here, right here at North Pine Christian College. Um, I've only been here for about four months now, three and a half, four months. So not a very long time, but I'm absolutely loving it. And, um, you know, as the saying goes, there's no better place to be than where God wants you to be. And when I got that call um, in late December, early January, to move up here, I prayed about it, and I thought, God, do you really want me to move? 
And this has now become my motto in life, that there is no better place to be than where God wants you to be. And I've been truly blessed since being here. So I work here at North Pine as a chaplain. Um, I've been married for five years now. Woohoo! Anyone married in the room? Yeah, it's, it's amazing, right? Marriage is amazing. So I've been married for five years. My wife, unfortunately, couldn't be here today, but she said that when I stand up here to make sure I send my regards and say hello to everyone. So she couldn't be here, but I've been married for five years. Um, as I shared before, this is my 10th year now in ministry, either part-time or full-time, which, and I'm loving every minute of it. But before moving here, so a couple of months ago, I lived in a place called Mildura. Hands up here if you know where Mildura is. So it's this, uh, it's this country rural town that is down in Victoria, and this is the main street of Mildura. It's probably the only street in Mildura. No, just, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, so this is Mildura, and Mildura is known for um, its river. Um, in fact, Sean was there not too long ago, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, it's a beautiful place. Um, it's, it's considered the desert because of how flat it is, but we're known for the two la- largest or longest rivers in Australia go through the region of, of Mildura. So you have the Murray River, which um, goes from one side of Victoria all the way up, and, and it sort of meets in the three states there in the middle. And then you've got the Darling River, which some of you may know of because it comes all the way up here into Queensland. Um, so there you go, a little bit of a lesson for you today. Um, so if you don't know where, where Mildura is, you can see this pointer here. I feel like a teacher right now. You've got this pointer right here. You can see that Mildura is right at the very top, and Melbourne is down the bottom here. So it takes about six to seven hours to drive uh, to Mildura, depending on whether, um, yeah, you, you speed or not. Um, but yeah, anyway. So, so that's, that's Mildura. And I've, so I've moved from there. I was, I was there for six years doing, uh, doing um, ministry in the church as well as in the school. So I was uh, doing youth pastoral work as well as chaplaincy. So this is the Mildura Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, they have close to 200 members on a regular basis. And this is the school, one of our Adventist schools, Henderson College, where I worked. And uh, these two pictures here are probably some of my favorite pictures that I've, that I've got on my phone over the past um, year or so. Um, and this is our week of worship that we had at our, at our, at our school there at Henderson College. Um, and it was, it was just an amazing experience just to see God move in that space. And so anyway, so the title of this, of this message is, is a part two of the series, A Mighty Fortress. And so before we start, I know Sarah already prayed a blessing over me, but I'd love to pray again just as we invite God to be with us as we open up his word and share together. Is that Okay. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we want to thank you again for this time that we get to share together, this time that we get to, to read from your word, to be uplifted and to be encouraged. We pray, Lord, that you may bless us now and that we may leave this place a different person from when we came in. We thank you for your transforming power and we pray for your spirit to be upon us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Our main key text is Psalms chapter 46, verse 4 to 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to grab those Bibles as we turn to the Scripture. And um, I just finished a youth week of prayer at the Scarborough um, Samoan uh, SDA church there. And this was something that I encouraged them to bring along their Bible. Now, some of you may not have a physical Bible, but if you have your Bible app on your phone, I'd encourage you to pull that up. One of the reasons why I encourage you to grab your Bible is because when we use all of our senses to worship God, we retain the most amount of information and we learn the most. See, see you, can, you can listen to me sharing here, that's using one of your senses, but if you're listening, you're reading, you're hearing, etc., etc., you, you get the picture, right? You retain the most amount of potential information that you can. And so we don't want to 
uh, limit how much God can speak to us this morning. The second reason is to hold me accountable. There might be something that I say, and trust me, there's more than enough people here to hold me accountable today. But there may be something that I share that is not in line with what the scriptures say. So another reason to follow along with me as well is to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate to God's word. All right, so Psalms 46, verse 4, if you are there, let me know by saying refresh. Okay, that's about 60% of us. That's good. All right, so Psalm 46, verse 4, and it says, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. Verse 5, God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us and God and the God of Israel is our fortress. Now verse 4 starts talking about this river and theologians have really puzzled and speculated for years over what this river is, whether it is a literal river that it's referencing or whether it's symbolic. Literally speaking, there is, no, there is no river in, in Jerusalem, only the spring of, and I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the, the spring of Gihon or Gihon or Gion, I don't know how you pronounce it, and Hezekiah's tunnel that brings water into the pool of Siloam. Um, but I think that's besides the point. I don't want to start this message thinking this is going to be very deep and theological in that sense. But this is besides the point. There are, however, a few points from this key text that I want to draw from today that I think can inspire us and can encourage us. So the big idea from this key text is God's presence in the city turns it into a fortress and defense against every power that comes against it. This is the big idea. And these verses are talking about our God being a mighty fortress. Our God being someone who defends us against every power that comes against us. Our God. Now, my question to you this morning is, who is the God that you worship? Because the God that I serve, my my understanding of him is someone who has indescribable power, someone who has unlimited love. We're talking about our God, a God who merely spoke and the heavens were created. We're talking about a God who breathed the word and stars came into existence. We're talking about the God who aligned the sea or assigned the sea, sorry, assigned the sea its boundaries, a God who locked the oceans into its reservoirs, a God who, and I shared this a few weeks ago in our staff worship, a God who, you know that verse where it says that even the, the hairs on your head are numbered? The average person has about 100,000 follicles of hair on their head. Now, please don't turn to someone or look at someone who is slightly balding right now. That is offensive. But 100,000 follicles of hair on the average person's head, and the Bible says that God has numbered every one of those hairs, that you are, you, you, he thinks about you more than that. There's five million roughly on average across your entire body. But a God that, that took the time to create us in, 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 in his image, in his likeness, a God who created our complex DNA. When you look at our DNA, if you were to stretch out our DNA, it would be over six feet long. I don't know if that's like amazing to anyone, but it would be over six feet long with three billion different characters. In other words, if, if I wanted to read your DNA, if I, if I wanted to read a description of you, follow me with what I'm saying here, if I wanted to read a description of you, 
And, and, and let's just say I wanted to read one character per second, day and night, it would take me 96 years to read a description of you. That's how amazing you are. And so when we're reading this verse and talking about our God being a mighty fortress, this is who that God is. And he thinks that you are so special to him. So when we apply this big idea of God's presence in our lives, we do not need to fear any circumstance or any situation that we face because he, God, is our mighty fortress. Now, when we look at this verse, I'm reminded of this verse. When, we, when we're talking about this, this river that brings joy to the city of God, when we're talking about the mighty fortress, I'm reminded of this verse in Psalm 1611. It says, in the presence of God is fullness of what? Oh, let's try that one more time, church. Let's try that one more time. I'll give you a bit of time to warm up and get ready. Get ready. Okay, roll your shoulders back. Roll your shoulders back. Okay. In the presence of God is fullness of what? Oh, that was a lot better. Don't you think that was a lot better, Sarah? That was a lot better. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. You see, I want to share with you quickly this idea of the happiness and the joy that this world offers us in comparison to the joy that God offers us. Because there is a difference. The happiness and the joy that this world offers us brings us to a false state of reality. It gives us this dopamine reaction, but it leaves you craving more constantly. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride. Anyone been on a roller coaster before? You get to moments where it's like, yeah, I'm at the peak now. I'm feeling, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really satisfied. I'm happy. I'm joyful. But then at some point in time, it's going to drop back down and leave you craving for more and more and more. Now, I guess, what's a, <clears throat> a, a stereotypical, can, can someone share with me, this might be a really weird question, but can someone just yell out, what's a very stereotypical sin? I don't know why I did that, because sin is, what's a very stereotypical sin? Lying, Lying. thank you, whoever said that, I can't really see, the, the, the lights are, are, are very blinding, but um, lying, have you ever come across someone who, you've had a conversation with them, that you're good mates with them, right? Have you ever come across someone who said, hey, mate, gee, I'll tell you what, what happened to me the other day. I lied for the first time. I had this opportunity to lie, and I took it, and I lied, and oof, it was an amazing experience. And I tell you what, I am satisfied for life from lying. That, that one experience has just, man, it has filled my cup. I never have to lie again because of how great and how like quality that experience was. Have you ever heard someone say that? I mean, you can apply that to any sort of sin, any, any sort of struggle that you're going through. Um, I've never come across someone, especially, especially in my household, who, uh, who has said, yeah, I, I tried gossiping once. I talked about that guy who spoke at the front of church on Sabbath. Why did he wear a tie? I don't know. Maybe it was to wipe his sweat. I don't know. But... Yeah, we gossiped about him this one time, and man, I tell you, that filled my, like, I'm satisfied. I never have to gossip ever again. That's not the way the devil works. The devil works in ways where he makes happiness and joy of this world seem so enticing that you, that'll leave you craving for more. And during those experiences, it gives you this false state of reality. Are you following me, church? All right, awesome, awesome. In other words, when you look at Proverbs 27, verse 20, it says that hell and destruction are never full, and so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The things of this world, as much as they offer us full satisfaction, they will never give it to us. 
And so when we're looking at this verse, I don't know what, what's happened to the verse. Um, when we're looking at this verse, in the presence of God is fullness of joy, it's different from what this world offers us. The fullness of joy that God offers is not merely an emotion, but it's an invitation to take on a character trait. It's not about how you feel inside, how it makes you feel, but it's about the way that I can live my life. And I want to go into this a little bit further, but when you look at James chapter 1, verse 2, and I know I'm breezing through, I'm just sort of sharing them as references, not so much for us to go to every single verse. But James 1 verse 2 says that when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Can you imagine, uh, I, I just recently lost, lost a loved one, can you imagine if I went up to my family member who was grieving and said, hey, this is an opportunity for joy. It's the wrong timing, right? But the scriptures here say that when troubles come your way or when you fall into temptation, when you go through trials and hardships, it says, consider it an opportunity for joy. And I feel like this joy is in connection with this joy that God offers us. It's not about that emotional response. It's about who you are. When you look at the story of Job, for example, Job lost absolutely everything. And yet in the midst of that, the Bible sort of seems to, seems to indicate that in the midst of all of that, his joy in the Lord remained the same. Yes, his emotions were all over the place. Yeah, sure, he was battling with other things. But his, this character trait that he had remained the same. I want to share with you this quote. It says, trials are not the enemies of faith, but are opportunities to prove God's faithfulness. That's an amen moment right there. Let me share it one more time. Trials are not the enemies of faith, but are opportunities to prove God's faithfulness in your life. Matthew 24, I mean, uh, some would consider it the, the, the doomsday chapter, but it talks about the signs of Jesus coming back again, the signs of Christ's return. And when you read through Matthew 24, in particular verse 21, it talks about the fact that it is going to be inevitable that you will go through hard times. It's not something that any of us are exempt from. Each and every one of us in this room are going to experience hard times. But in the midst of all the hardships, in the midst of all the turmoil and troubles and everything that we face in this world, we need not fear because if we have God's presence in our lives, if we, if we, have, if we have Him in our lives, and if we allow God to be our mighty fortress, what do we have to fear? So application point, let's get on to this now. God's presence in our lives will transform the way that we view our situations. I want to share a story very quickly with you. I don't know how much time I have left. How much time do I have left? Maybe 10 minutes? Um, I want to share a story with you very quickly, and it's a story of this guy. His name is Reverend Wade Watts. He was a reverend, if you didn't catch it by his title. Reverend Wade Watts, um, and he, he was a minister in America, very passionate guy. Something that you need to know about this guy is that no matter what troubles came his way, his joy in the Lord, in fact, that, that aspect of his character, his peace in the midst of troubles did not change. And this is where we're drawing from this story. And I want to uh, introduce to you this other character here, this guy. His name 
is Johnny Clary. Is, if you haven't figured it out by now, by his Halloween costume, he is a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It's not a Halloween costume, by the way. It's, a real, it's the real deal. And, and if you know much about the KKK, he was the national imperial wizard for the KKK. So he was, he was, the, he was the big deal. And for some reason, there was an interview or, or, a, or a meeting or a debate of some kind, call it what you wish, that was, that was uh, arranged for these two guys to come together into the same room. Now, you know without even an agenda that this is going to be quite juicy, right? This is going to be interesting. And so they brought these two guys together, and Johnny Clary was the first one to arrive, and he sat down in his seat, you know, in front of, in front of all the other people that were there ready to witness this, this, this great uh, interaction. And as he sat there, in comes Reverend Wade Watts. Now, like I said before, he was that kind of guy where God's love just oozes out of you. Have you ever met someone like that? They're just, they're just full of love and compassion and just even being in their presence. It's like, whoa, you need to put some sunnies on. Like, that was Reverend Wade Watts. He was that kind of guy. And he enters into the room wearing his, wearing his suit, holding his Bible, and he didn't give Johnny Clary enough time to react. And before you knew it, Johnny Clary was shaking this black man's hand. And Reverend Wade Watts turns to him and says, don't worry, Johnny, it's not coming off. Because he looks at his hand afterwards and he's like, he was just frozen. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what, didn't know what to do. And so they sat down together and Reverend Wade Watts looked at him in the eyes with such compassion and such conviction. And he said, let me tell you something, Johnny. I want you to know today that I love you, that Jesus loves you. And no matter what you do, there is nothing you will be able to do to make me hate you. Johnny Clary stood up and left the interview. He couldn't handle it. And he made it his personal commitment that day to make Reverend Wade Watts' life a living hell. And so then it started. The threats started. He rocked up to his house one day. He's banging on his door. He's calling out threats. He's cursing. He's swearing. Everything else in between. And he's calling for Reverend Wade Watts to come outside. Come outside. We want to, we want to talk to you. No response. So he ends up trashing his front lawn, trashing his, his yard and all that sort of thing. No response. So then he thought, okay, I'll take it up a notch. I'm going to rock up to his house. So they rocked up to his house and they decided to put this cross in the front yard and they lit it on fire. Reverend Wade Watts comes outside as they called him out. He said, hey, Johnny, good to see you, brother. How's things? Oh, I didn't know you were having a barbecue. Let me just rush back inside and grab my marshmallows and my hot dogs and let's enjoy this, this, this campfire together. And so he goes off and Johnny Clary, again, stunned, doesn't know what to do. He leaves. Next time he comes, he comes dressed up in their full outfits, their full KKK uniforms with all of his members. And they come, you know, bearing weapons and everything else. They break down his door and they call out to him again to come out. Reverend Wade Watts, come out, come out. We want to talk to you. He comes out again. Hey, Johnny, it's good to see you again, brother. Hey, what? why are you wearing those costumes? Halloween is not for another couple of months. Go home and take your costumes off and we'll talk properly. Again, he was stunned. He didn't know what to do. So next, Johnny Clary thought he would take it up a notch. So this is the actual church of Reverend Wade Watts. And he went to his church and he lit his church on fire. He called him up and he thought that he was disguising his voice. He said, hey, Reverend Wade, you better watch your back. You're dead meat. 
And Reverend Wade recognizes the voice. He says, Johnny, is that you? What do I owe the pleasure of you giving me a call today? What an honor. What an absolute privilege. Let me pray for you, Johnny. Father in heaven. And as he prays, he hangs up. At this point, he is furious. He does not know what to do anymore because this guy, nothing can get under his skin. And so next, he decides, you know what? He says to his members, I'm going to end his life. That's it. I don't care. I want to end his life. And so they decide to follow Reverend Wade Watts and his entire family to this restaurant where they sit down and there's a big chicken in front of them. True story, true story. So, so Johnny Clary comes in with all of his KKK members. They surround the table where they are. The restaurant is dead silence. They've got all the weapons in hand. Johnny Clary has already made the decision that this is it. Your time is up, Reverend Wade. And as Reverend Wade is sitting there, he's got his, his really sharp carving knife and his fork in one hand, just about ready to carve the chicken. He looks up at Johnny Clary, and Johnny Clary says, Reverend Wade, I am about to do to you what you are about to do to that chicken. So Reverend Wade takes a moment, looks up at him, looks down at his chicken, puts down his knife and his fork, picks up the chicken and kisses it. <laughs> After that interaction, Johnny Clary, the national imperial wizard for the KKK, became a traveling minister alongside Reverend Wade Watts. How amazing is that? And this is because of the power of love. This is because of the power of a positive attitude in the midst of your trials. This is because I feel like Reverend Wade Watts understood this verse in Scripture where it says that in the presence of God is fullness of joy so that no matter what is happening in your life, you can be joyful knowing that God is in control, that God has the best intentions for your life. And that spoke to Johnny Clary, and he had no choice but to give in to the love, the never-ending love of God, the reckless love of God. And so we're talking about a mindset shift. So going back to the application point before we finish, God's presence in our lives will transform the way we view our situation. It's a mindset shift. When we allow God's presence in our lives to transform the way that we view our situation, we need not fear the circumstances that we're going through because if God is for us, who can be against us, right? I'll give you another quick example of this guy named Paul. Anyone know Paul in the scriptures? Here's a very short glimpse of some of the sufferings that Paul endured during his life. Here's some of them. He was imprisoned and flogged. He was exposed to death. Three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. One time he was abandoned out in the open ocean. He's received dangers from rivers, from bandits, from Jews, Gentiles in the city, country, sea, dangers from false believers without sleep, food and clothing for long periods of time from days on end. And yet, in the midst of all of that, you know what he says? In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, he says that all of my afflictions in my life are just a moment, considered a moment when compared with the eternal weight of glory. The troubles in your life, yes, they are very real. Yes, they are happening. But when you compare that to what God has in store for you, does it really weigh up? Hold on. Don't, don't let go yet. Because God wants to be our mighty, mighty fortress. When we read through that verse in Psalms 46, it talks about how God will protect 
God will protect it. God will protect the city. God, will, God is our fortress. God wants to be our strong tower. God wants to be our solid rock. God wants to be our chief cornerstone. But the question is, do you trust him even in the midst of your trials and hardships? Do you trust him in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were there ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they said to the king, even if God doesn't deliver us, we still will not bow down because we trust in him and we know what we stand for. Do you have that type of faith? Do you have that type of trust in God this morning? Trust that he will pull through as your mighty fortress. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Or in other translations it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's a mind sh mindset shift. That was a tongue twister. So let's recap very quickly. So here's a couple of points before we finish. Point number one, God's presence in the city turns it into a fortress and defends it against every power that comes against it. Point number two, the God that we serve has indescribable power and authority who offers us fullness of joy in his presence. Point number three, trials are not enemies of faith, but opportunities to, provide, uh, to prove God's faithfulness. And point number four, in the midst of our circumstances, regardless of what they may be, do not fear, but trust because God is faithful. You see, God was able to part the Red Sea and deliver Moses. Amen? God was able to rain down manna from heaven and provide for the needs of the Israelites in their time of need. God was able to make the sun and the moon stand still for Joshua. God was able to deliver Daniel from the lion's den. God was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. God was able to feed the 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread. God was able to heal a blind man who had been blind from birth. God was able to walk on water. He was able to set free, to mend the brokenhearted, to heal the hurt and the lost. And God is able to be your mighty fortress, to be your strong tower. God is able to be your rock. God is able to be your firm foundation in your time of need. God is able to transform the way that we view our situation so that whatever my lot, I can say it is well. This is the joy that God offers us when we trust in him. And so I want to finish on this as we pray now. It's in James chapter 4 verse 8 and it says this, come close to God and he will come close to you. This is my prayer for all of us this morning as we reflect on the words of Psalms, as we reflect on what it means to be in the presence of someone who wants to be our mighty fortress, our strong tower. May this reign true for you, that you may have this desire to come close to God because he wants to come close to you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we wanna thank you for this time that we're able to, to, to share together, to worship together this morning. And I wanna thank you for each and every person here, each and every head bowed. I wanna thank you, Lord, for the promises in your scriptures, including this series on Psalms 46. We wanna thank you, Lord, that you are our mighty fortress, that you are our shelter in our time of need. We wanna thank you, Lord, because you encourage us to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus did. You encourage us to have this mindset of even if type of faith. And so, Lord, I humbly ask that you may empower us, 
that you may remind us that sometimes the things that we fear aren't even real. Sometimes the things that we're scared of aren't even there to begin with. So help us, Lord, to trust in you, to know that you have the plans in store for our lives and that you want the best for us. We thank you for being our rock. In Jesus' name, amen.